0: So I'm just wondering, it might be a place to start is, you know, what does sort of mental health month mean to you?
1: Yeah, um, I think I actually think it could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But for me personally, um, I think it's an acknowledgement of survivorship. Um, So it's, you know, a nod and a testament to all the people that have been struggling and are still going. Um, It's probably, you know, a good time to acknowledge that, there is a lot of reform that still needs to be done in terms of the mental health system as well. Um, probably a cause for celebration for all the things that carers have you know, survived through and have been challenged by, but also maintained a good sense of humour through in some respects. Um, and also just an acknowledgement that uh, you know, subjects that are often subject to stigma and taboo don't necessarily need to be, and they shouldn't be.
0: Welcome to the Grow Tribe. I'm Melissa McGowan, and I have been supporting teams and people grow for over two decades. So it might sound like I have it all figured out, but that is far from the truth. In my early 40s, I experienced my great energy crisis. It brought me to my knees. I was living and leading in survival zone, either doing or feeling healthy, but never at the same time. For myself, my family, and my career, I realised I needed to make some changes, and my biggest learning was to manage my energy. I felt more connected and alive, and I became the practising chief energy officer of my life. And this is where the real growth started. I needed a tribe. I looked up and I realised I was not alone, and neither are you. Go to Grow is about connection with real and messy growth the failing, the learning, the healing, the vulnerability, the bravery, and the aliveness not just the glossy outcomes. We'll help you connect the dots between your energy and the impact you desire to have in your life. Our guests help create space for you to grow. They provide insights, inspiration and information. We'll call them the practicing chief energy officers of their lives too. Go to Grow helps you navigate the rocky road towards greater growth for you. Storytelling is such a powerful way to reduce stigma and raise awareness. Today, we're doing that around mental health. My guest, Naomi Friars, had a breakdown and was removed from her home by police and taken to a mental health ward. She hit rock bottom, and over time, she embraced her story, growing through great adversity, to tell her story with an empowering ending that she got to choose. Naomi is a writer, mental health survivor, an advocate, and a TEDx speaker, Today, on Mental Health Awareness Day, I am so chuffed to share this very real chat about her learnings, her growth, and how she uses her voice to advocate for others, particularly women in the system. Naomi is passionate about giving young people the microphone, empowering them to tell their stories. She's very authentic, warm, courageous, and just awesome. Her hardest times have given her strength, resilience, and compassion, and we all get to read about that now in her book, A Very Long Way. So as you continue your growth journey, please check out her book about her experience living and thriving with, mental, with a mental illness. Please note this episode touches on mental health challenges and trauma as well as suicide. It is a very real and solution oriented conversation. However, elements could be triggering for those who have experienced mental health challenges. Please access support if you are experiencing challenges and find some links, helpful links in the show notes. Thanks. And I hope you enjoy my chat with Naomi. Welcome to the Grow Tribe today, Naomi and your dog, uh, Dimmer, if I've got that correctly, because I thought you were talking to your 18 month year old. I said, how old is that sort of person that you're talking to there who's grizzling a bit? And you said, oh, 18 months. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a pretty self-sufficient toddler. (laughs) Then we realized it was a border collie. So, you know, welcome. I know a lot of people (laughs) have got their dogs with them at the moment and are loving it. Gee, I just actually heard from someone yesterday who said that was the best thing they've done in lockdown. She said not only does it get me out of the house a couple of times a day to go for a walk, she said their dog, the new dog, has kept my kids fully entertained through all of this i was like yeah we're we're still getting a lot of pressure here with our kids but regardless that's not we're not here to talk about dogs today we're here to talk about well all sorts of things and i'm going to um hand it over to naomi in a little minute to 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 get our conversation started but first of all naomi how are you today um that is definitely the question now it's not just how are you because we're still in lockdown here in victoria anyway seems like we will be for a bit longer so it's a daily proposition isn't it
1: it sure is melissa thank you so much for having me um yeah it is a daily proposition i just locked down it looks like we've got another six weeks i think ahead of us um at the moment at least in metro melbourne um just trying i guess to get the 80 percent um double vax rate until we can open up a little bit which will be a welcome reprieve for all of us, I think. And um, yeah, we actually bought Dima, sorry, my border collie back to the dog <laughs> <laughs> um, in, so March last year. So um, just, I think it was just in the middle of, or no, no. So just before that, one of the first lockdowns, one or two. Between
0: some lockdowns. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Between lockdowns, uh, we purchased a dog and, and uh, we, we managed to get him down here. And it, oh, he's just, he's been the most welcome addition to the family. Like he's really... Just made himself at home. If you could see him now, he's just drawing oh, on well, my couch. Oh, well, seeing him
0: on screen a minute ago, <laughs> like it just gorgeous dog, and I, I actually put a smile on my face. And then the fact that I didn't understand the appreciate the name linked to the uh, um, the coach of the Tigers AFL football club and I'm an actual Tiger Samora, so what does that say? <laughs> oh. Luckily we're not talking about dogs or football today because I'd probably be a bit lost there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's a ripper, so we're pretty
0: lucky. Uh, him. <laughs> great. I won't tell the kids because the pressure will continue here. I said... Whilst we've got shoes all over the garden and all over the <laughs> the balcony and everything constantly, we can't have a dog until we're just a little bit tidier maybe. Anyway, we'll see. But Naomi, um, having had a chat with you and having heard a bit about your uh, experience and your backstory where you are today, I'm guessing lockdown is possibly not the hardest thing that you've been through.
1: Um, oh, uh, no, well, I w- I w- <laughs> yes and no. Lockdown's been hard, I think for a lot of people. So my backstory is that I've come through some significant mental health challenges um, and overcome a nervous breakdown some, just over a decade ago, I suppose. And um, I think in terms of amplifying symptoms in some ways, lockdown has been quite tricky, um, especially Especially for people who are prone to probably depression and anxiety, but and also like with the being bombarded by the media and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, mm. and the and the negative news and all that kind of thing. But um, also we, for people with PTSD in particular, I think the border closures have been quite like tricky to manage in terms of the psychological inability to escape. So it has been it has been tricky, but um, it definitely hasn't been the worst thing I've been through. No. <laughs>
0: And are you finding that there's certain, I don't know, like habits or rituals that are more important for you right now because of all of that going on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of them I think actually we're going back to the dog here now. (laughs) Um, So working from home has been a a good thing for me, like being able to just, um, you know, chat from the couch and enjoy his company and, um, also manage like home responsibilities and stuff and cut down on travel time, obviously, is a welcome reprieve too. Um, but also I'd say I think that for us, like as a family, being able to spend some quality time together, I mean, my husband was rather unlucky and got made redundant during the first wave, which was tricky, but, but it did um, help us as a family unit you know, to find some level of cohesion in, In the lockdown world, which is, you know, kind of removed from the real world. so
0: Yeah. 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 Different things for different people in terms of what's really helping them, I guess, at a minimum survive right now and, you know, uh, potentially even thrive a bit as a family and, and as individuals. Now, for those who may not be aware, October is mental health month. And that is, I think that's a, a global initiative. Um, I've got a great calendar here in front of me that is part of what um, Australia are doing, Mental Health Australia. And there is this great little schedule of really quite simple um, and, and accessible and achievable <clears throat> little suggestion for each day of the month to do something uh, to support your mental health and look after your mental health. Like some, it's, it's fun, it's a way to connect and do some activities with others. And then World Mental Health Day is actually on the 10th of October, which coincides with your book coming out, Naomi, which is amazing. So I'm just wondering, it might be a place to start is, you know, what does sort of Mental Health Month mean to you?
1: Yeah, um, I think I actually think it could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But for me personally, um, I think it's an acknowledgement of survivorship Um, so it's, you know, a nod and a testament to all the people that have been struggling and are still going. Um, it's probably, you know, a good time to acknowledge that there is a lot of reform that still needs to be done in terms of the mental health system as well. Um, probably a cause for celebration for all the things that carers have, you know, survived through and have been challenged by, but also maintained a good sense of humour through in some respects, um. And also just an acknowledgement that, uh, you know, subjects that are often subject to stigma and taboo don't necessarily need to be, and they shouldn't be. So I don't subscribe to the the fact that, you know, we should keep mental health conversations around Are You OK? Day and um, World Mental Health Day. I think they're everyday conversations, but I think it's very important to have notable occasions that we can set aside to make sure those conversations are still occurring and that they are honed and specific.
0: Yeah, and we've obviously just had um, Are You Okay Day here quite recently in Australia, which I don't think is a global phenomenon, and we did talk about it uh, on a recent episode. But like you're saying, it, to have some of those more formal days just to help people get a little bit more comfortable with sometimes the uncomfortable yet beautifully simply and effect, simple and effective question of, you know, are you or are you really okay? You know, so I think this year it just felt like it had a little, a real extra uh, emphasis on the importance of that day.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I actually have, as well as my book coming out on World Mental Health Day, I have an upcoming uh, TED Talk and I'm discussing the concept of storytelling as a suicide prevention tool. Um, and in that talk I discuss ideas about the ways in which we can embrace um, storytelling, which, you know, to begin with was used by First Nations people as a way to convey important cultural lessons, educate people through the generations and um, instill knowledge. And, then, and if, if we embrace that to its full capacity in the way that I did to write my book and in the way that the catharsis transpired and has helped me help other people... What would our suicide statistics look like? Would would suicide prevention be possibly a rea- like a, a, a reality that it didn't? You know these rates would go down in the future, and I think it's something really worth discussing as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think obviously you've got a um a superpower around storytelling, so it's great that you are bringing that forward. We know that growth often comes from. our our biggest challenges yet I also know and I'm wondering if how you feel when you are sometimes in the midst of a challenge that you know you did not go out seeking and and if someone was to suggest to you at that time don't worry this is (laughs) you know this is going to be really growthful and from your biggest adversity is going to become you know, your, your kind of purpose and your growth, you know, you just might want to, like, bop someone in the head at that time. But, yeah, I'd love you to tell us your story, and that is a theme on this show, is that often people's um, challenges have, you know, really led them to be the person that they are today.
1: Yeah, I absolutely feel the same as you. So while I suppose... I would say that my survival stories has been turned into a superpower. I think I would have found it quite difficult to stomach when I was in the grit and you know had determination, but was neck deep in mud and going through the absolute depths of despair, and you know having experiences like being frog marched across my front lawn and into the back of a divisional van to be carted away to a confined psychiatric ward. If someone had told me oh, this, this will be a great TED talk one day. Like, I think you'll really inspire people. I probably wouldn't have taken too kindly to that concept. In fact, I can guarantee I wouldn't have. Not, not in that frame of mind either. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. But in the book, I do reflect on that because I had, and they say writers live twice, which is a really interesting concept because you live once and then you live to retell it. And then I would argue that you live three times because you also reflect when you reread your work. So um, on that, I'd just say that, you know, sometimes our greatest, our greatest challenges do become our greatest life lessons, but it's not until a couple of layers of reflection later that we actually can grapple with the significance of what they meant and, and how transformative those experiences were.
0: Yeah, there was a, um, well, we're, many of us are, are familiar with the grieving the stages of, of grief and the, the process it has been around for a long time. And there was a great article written about it last year in relation to the pandemic, particularly pointing out the um, the extra step that was added. I'm going to get the names wrong, so I'm not going to say it now, but there was the original person who came up with this, um, the stages of grief, you know, the sort of shock and the anger and the denial and these things. And the one that was added on the end later was the making, the meaning making, Yes. So when you talked about retelling your story um, and the reflection, and and I think we're all reflection poor in in our lives, you know, um, is that's when we often make the meaning, isn't it? Even though I'm I'm guessing it must be also quite difficult to go back into what were probably some pretty traumatic um, experiences, yeah?
1: Yeah, making sense of nonsensical things like you know delusions is quite a challenging concept but then when you when you break it down and you realize that what the kinds of things that came out of those experiences were like compassion that helped you grow and then like a more well-rounded personality because you're able to reflect on not only your own perspective other people's perspectives how that must have felt for them as well as you and like all these other kinds of amazing things it's just you start to realize that You know, as as hard as these things were, and honestly, some of these challenges did nearly cost me my life, but they also built me as a person, like rebuilt me from the ground up. And I have to be very grateful that that transpired because I don't like to think what kind of adult I'll be now if that didn't happen.
0: Yeah, right. I just, um, I really resonate with what you're saying about compassion you know, I haven't been through um, the sorts of challenges that you've been through. You know, my story is different than yours. But when I think back to some of the challenges that I've um, been through, you know, in my life, things like um, losing a baby halfway through a pregnancy and when I went into premature menopause in my early 40s and that gave me a sense because I didn't know what was going on for a good couple of years there, it gave me a sense of what it must feel like to feel truly depressed because I had anxiety but that was that sort of more, you know, nervous um, kind of higher levels of energy and then sometimes just like big crashes where I just, you know, it was a struggle like to get out of bed and some sometimes I didn't, you know, um, <clears throat> and it'd be like get through the week and then be the weekend and Stuart, would be, I'd be like, you've got to get the kids out of the house, like I just can't. You know, I can't bear, I can't keep, you know, and, and I had this sort of mantra going through my head, it was, you know, that, that I hated my life. And that went on for, you know, way too long, right, a good couple of years. But my, the glue, like the thread through my really transformation and and growth through all these challenges has been to truly embrace self-compassion that, you know, we talk about self-worth and self-esteem and it's got this sense of I'm okay compared to others a little bit. Like there's that thing, there's something around self-esteem and that's got a slight comparison thing. But I would love about self-compassion is that it's that true kind of um, turning to yourself and that almost like that psychological embrace of yourself, you know, um, despite or, or, or you know, because of all your flaws, like it's just... You know, it's just amazing, and and you know, it's a bit of mindfulness and a bit of, you know, kindness, and it has a yin side to it and a yang side to it. You know, there's some fierce self compassion, and then there's that real kind of nurturing side of it. So, I, for me, that has just been, you know, the game changer is truly uh, learning to be to have more compassion for myself. Yeah, um, an amazing what, skill. Mm.
1: And it's actually, I was reflecting on the fact that as women, it's not one we're too readily taught because, you know, in a society that's quite patriarchal in this way this, that structures are built. But not only that, the way that women are reflected on in terms of like overcoming what they're dictated that they're supposed to be traditionally, and then all those kinds of like other roles. But um, even like our commentary on on women, like. I remember being told as a little girl, and you know, this is hard to reflect on, but that I was too much or like, you know, a bit of a show off or little things like that. But if those things add up and build up over the years, like they're quite damaging to young people. And I think that's one of the reasons that like, so the next chapter of my journey, I'm hoping to champion diverse voices um, in the literary and publishing sphere, but in particular, you know, women, people from cold backgrounds, um, refugees and people with disability and lived experience because those are the people that never get the microphone. Not only do they not get the opportunity, they get told that if they're, if they're you know, saying something, it's either too much or not enough or it should be different. Like I just feel like as a society we've got a lot of way to come in not only representation but tolerance.
0: So, t- yeah, say a little bit more about your your purpose now and like what you know what this opportunity is to to give minority groups or young girls you know the microphone so to speak
1: yeah so you know sometimes I think I think back actually when I was a little girl I remember I remember being at the MCG and I was always like a bold storyteller a bit performative and stuff like that and and I remember that one guy behind me he was just watching me like really inquisitively. And I was actually being quite theatrical and taking up, um, taking off like other spectators nearby that were, you know, of different, like their club, their club was the opposite opposition or whatever. And then this guy just said, oh, this is amazing. And like Richmond, he was a Richmond supporter and we we're getting flogged by 60 points, which, you know, wasn't unusual back then. <laughs> and he was like, oh, they should just take, this match off the screen and put this girl on. Like she's amazing, she's hilarious. And I was like, it was just music to my ears because I feel like I grew up in a time where, you know, women women and little girls weren't told to be boisterous and like have ambition and tell their stories like a, they were very curated. And, and there wasn't even like the, the diversity of employment prospects that we have now. So it was just like, I just felt like from that moment that if, imagine if I grew up in this time zone where there is more like, would I have been, you know, playing AFL or it's just, it's amazing how, you know, time changes. And I just want to advance that forward because I think that the next generation are probably more culturally aware than we were. And it's time that those people were brought forward and we get to, you know, embrace diversity for its magic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I love that you've, you've got that um, optimistic <laughs> um, viewpoint there. I, you know, I still think we've got yeah, just a shitload of work to do, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I still think we see that with young girls that, you know, that, that sort of conforming to being the good girl or, you know, that, that you, know, you are too much or too bossy or whatever, whatever that is. So I think it's going to take quite a while um for these things to to shift you know you even think about yourself as a parent and sometimes you say things and you think oh my god you know what what am I you know what am I saying there right Mm -hmm. so yeah I I, um you know I I love your optimism there and I think this idea of uh, giving giving young girls the microphone to to tell their story a little bit more could be you know super super powerful yeah
1: yeah definitely I probably am quite optimistic. I've only got a son. So I don't, I'm not confronted day to day with the challenges of raising one of the next generation of women. And I imagine that the struggles do still exist, but I, I, I feel like there's at least a little bit more hope than when we were little, like a little bit more, well, you've got role models that are doing these things. We. I don't remember having any of that. Yeah. And The, way, the way, when I grew up, you know, even in terms of female journalists, like I grew up, you know, watching... Carolyn Wilson get groped as a mannequin on the footy oh, show. Like it just disgusting. Yeah. Um, and that's just that was just how we saw how the world was evolving at the time. Like, yeah, it's pretty yeah. scary.
0: Yeah, and and like you said before, you probably never would have imagined yourself kind of stepping into and I'm gonna say power, in and I mean that in a in a really kind of healthy, assertive, empowering way you know, telling your story, writing a book, doing a TED Talk, all these kinds of things. like, you know, um, it never ceases to amaze me when you look back and you think, I never would have imagined things would have turned out that way.
1: Oh, yeah. Sometimes I have to pinch myself from where I've come from a decade ago, you know, like it just seems like a, a world and a lifetime apart from the point in which, you know, you can find in a psychiatric ward and told you know, you won't work again. You'll be lucky to escape the um, public mental health system, and you'll never get off like a depot of antipsychotic medication to where I am now, substantially medication-free, like, and just living my best life. It's, it was a decade-long journey. It was over a decade-long journey, but it was also transformative and it's given me a lot of lived experience, more than my masters would have given me, which is what I set out to begin with.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Hell yeah to that life experience every time, right? What were some of the, uh, I guess, keys for you to get to the point where you're at now, like you said, where, you know, there was a thing, like, oh, you'll probably never get off the medication or, you you know, you're going to be in and out of wards and, and you know, um, here we are having this chat. So what have what have been some of those... Um, important things for you in terms of your healing, I guess.
1: Uh, maintaining a sense of hope was probably the biggest thing. And I did lose that for a while, I feel like. But when I first met my my current doctor, must be coming up for five years ago now, four or five years ago, um, she instilled me with a lot of hope that I could actually self actualize. And she's like, look, if you work hard enough, you, your, your recovery is gonna be dictated by what you put in. And I just, no one had ever said that before. Like no one had ever shown that optimism that you're in charge of your own life, you can build your own success. It doesn't matter where you're starting from, it matters w- how much work you put in. And and I was willing to do the work. I, I'd never been given the hope that the work would make a difference, to be honest. So it was when, that started, it really built from there. That's
0: empowering, isn't it? Because we often hear it around like, you know, physical injuries, you know, do the rehab or, you know, the reason physios don't work is because people don't do the exercises. But to hear that applied to mental health is is really great. It,
1: it is great and it's we need more of it. And I think that's why lived experience workers um, have so much to offer the mental health sector, to be honest. That for me started a journey of personal development and mindset growth. And then on top of that i took up writing again but like in a cathartic way so um i instilled a bit of mindfulness into it by doing like elephant journals writing academy which um does focuses a lot on like mindful and medita- meditative um, writing and then like it just and then the book was like the final piece of the puzzle i guess like in the terms of processing everything and some of the first chapters, I just cried my way through. They were really hard slog, like grueling. And, but then like, there's there's an element of healing as you relive it. So, you know, you get to reframe it. This is the thing, the other power of storytelling. Not only do you get to process it and not only do you get to look at it from various perspectives, you also get to reframe it in a narrative where you get to dictate the ending and the outcome. And there's something very, very powerful about that.
0: And I'm guessing that was part of your why for writing the book.
1: I didn't know, actually. To, I'll be honest. I didn't know that. That was a lucky byproduct. <laughs> I wasn't <Cool>. sure <laughs> that that would come about. I mean, I I was hopeful. I think I I I had was an open-minded, but I also I think I wrote the book. To share, I really didn't have that deep-seated thought. I wanted people to know they weren't alone, but mm-hmm. I also wanted um, to tell my story and to do it in a way that I could help raise funds for suicide prevention. And I thought I had a story worth hearing. So that's just how that evolved, but I didn't realise how transformative it would be at all.
0: What else do you want people to know, um, you know, whether it's related to your your story or just these topics that... Um yeah, what are some things that, 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 that we should know more about or would you, you want people to understand better?
1: Um, one of the things I'd say is that no matter how hard everything seems on a day-to-day basis, and I understand more than most, you know, how dark things can get and the magnitude of that darkness and how quickly it can happen, from, from my lived experience, I'm aware that when you hit rock bottom – that's, that's a fine, that's a fine and solid foundation upon which you can rebuild. There's actually some level of solace in the fact that you can't drop anymore. Like you can only go up. And I think that's that's an okay place to start because it's level. <laughs> There's only an up. So I think it's just a start, a, 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 a start point from which to build. And that's okay. And I think also I, I have to say a shout out to carers as well. You know, they really are undervalued in terms of their community contribution. So it was interesting, you know, (laughs) when I went to work in um, mental health and advocacy and that kind of thing, there was a lived experience workforce which consisted of consumers and carers. Um, And I was always like, oh, but are you able to, you know, convey messages to carers without like specific consent by the consumer? And there was always like that gray area of knowing when you know you would be divulging too much or whatever but and I was quite funny about people should be self-actualizing themselves like their what comes next isn't necessarily what's dictated by the carer as the next best step and that is true but there are points in my journey when I look back and I think I had no idea yeah. what the next next step was. My husband was like way more on it than me, so I think it's definitely a collaborative process. And I have to give a shout out to all the carers; like I wouldn't have made it without mine, and um, and that's an important thing to acknowledge as well. They're doing some hard yards along with the people they're caring for. So.
0: And was your um, was your husband with you through your whole journey?
1: Yeah so he knew me from before um, I had my breakdown. We'd been together I think uh, two years before I had my nervous breakdown and then we've been together um, obviously ever since but uh, I think there's some moments of still heartache for him in you know some of the reliving and I think reading my book which was amazing as well because he doesn't read books you know <laughs> he's just he's not a reader at all he reads um you know building instructions and that's about it <laughs> um but yeah so I think for him like there was some hard yards in reliving all that stuff because it was really raw emotion and yeah. that's a that's an interesting thing as well because when you're so far removed from reality There is that detachment from things That occurred So it's like you have like a buffer Of like not being emotionally invested Because it was almost as if It happened to someone else
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Whereas he has that very Frontline like I watched my partner Be manhandled by police Like it's just two different And that's why I'm saying like carers really Do it tough and I think that we need to remember that carers deserve a lot more than they get.
0: Yeah. Gosh, that may, yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking about lots of things there, but if there was, <clears throat> I don't know. We're obviously based in Australia, but many of us are not close enough to that system to understand. Like we 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 see that and we and we hear that we need change. There needs to be greater support. What sort of are some of the concrete things that you really think need to happen there?
1: Um, so the findings of the Royal Health Commission into Mental Health have just recently, you know, come out. And Victoria have acknowledged, the government have acknowledged that we need a ground-up rebuild of the entire system. And some of, I've read the findings of that commission and some of them, you know, you're aware of... And I didn't even read the stories that went behind the actual findings yeah but i i knew them anyway so like things like um gendered violence is still massive inside the facilities where people are supposed to be recovering um we have gender sensitive areas but i'm sorry i just don't feel like the answer for violence against women is locking women into confined spaces while they're trying to therapeutically recover like there's just so many complexities Um, So it's woefully underfunded. Forensic beds are stretched. All the beds are stretched actually. Um, It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's, there's so many things. Um, Accessibility, uh, but education reform as well. So that's another thing like, you know, the rates of depression and anxiety and PTSD are more rife um, amongst women than men. And I wonder whether some of that comes down to things like domestic violence, gendered violence, sexual violence, um, and also the things we discussed earlier, like women being dictated to about what they should and shouldn't be doing, but also having all these unrealistic expectations of how they should perform, you know? So, yeah,
0: it's a complex it's, melting yeah. pot,
1: Yeah. So education reforms and health reforms are, are both just as important.
0: I love it because look at your passion and energy, for this, right? You give me a change maker. Um, tell me if anyone's listening and they're thinking about what you said before about funding. Right? Is there any particular charities or groups that you want to give a shout out to? Or
1: oh, there's there's so many worthy charities in terms of mental health. But um, so I'm throwing my support behind Black Dog because I really, really value yeah. their work in terms of systemic. Um, advocacy and suicide prevention. I'm really passionate as a survivor on the human cost and and just the unbelievable collateral of our suicide statistics, they're draconian. Like there is the fact that our, our suicide statistics almost usually double our national road toll is so outrageous. And the fact that it hasn't been addressed and i'd hate to see the, the repercussions of lockdown in particular um but it, it's just like what at what cost i mean for the emergency service workers that are involved in the aftermath for the families for communities like it's just yeah.
0: um
1: something has to give and these are and black dog institute are the people informing government to help make the decisions about granting extra funding so they need all the support they can get
0: such a good point about the the direct impact, but then the tentacles that come off that, following something like that for families or kids who don't have a parent in any way. It's um, yeah. I'll put the I'll put the link to Black Dog in the show notes, and I'll also put the link here for um, Mental Health Australia, the resource that I've got um in front of me, which is a great a great option. Like we're just going to print it, put it on the wall down on our um, living air in our house and, and you know, do some of this stuff with the kids in October. Um, there was Perfect. something else we mentioned so there. I should, oh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
1: So I should note um, that I'm donating 50% of the sales proceeds from my book to Black Dog Institute's work on suicide prevention. Um, and so, yeah, that's my way of using my story in a two-pronged approach to not only tell people that they're not alone and tell them my story and give them hope, but also so that some of that money raised goes back into the systemic work to curb the rates that are currently gripping the world and Australia. Yes. In Absolutely.
0: I won't swear. I'll just say freaking awesome. Um, you're an amazing human and it's been so great to talk to you. Um, the 10th of October, your book's out. A very long way and i will put the link in the show notes and i haven't read it yet but i can pretty much guarantee that it's going to be better than reading building instructions
1: <laughs> thank you so much or the herald sun um footy notes <laughs> oh definitely
0: definitely better than that anything else you want to throw in the mix here this has been really enlightening and and uh you know inspiring for me No,
1: I just wanted to thank you so much for having me. I think it's a really amazing to have the opportunity to have these discussions. Like if people aren't open to having the conversations, nothing ever changes. So I really, really value and appreciate that. Um, But also on the topic of mental health, um, as well as being a cause for reflection, I think World Mental Health Day should be a cause for celebration as well. Um, Just in the fact that things are progressing and people are noticing changes. So Psychiatry is and, and psychology they're advancing and we're yeah. getting to know we're getting to know more about personal development and the the impacts of like spirituality in terms of mental health so I mean we are learning lessons all the time but I just feel like there's a long way to go but that's okay because we're ready to go a long way <laughs>
0: yeah I mean to your point before on diversity it doesn't sound like it's such a cookie cutter approach anymore and you know here we are in october 2021 um it's a great time to be talking about this and and the various different levers that people can pull. But also there's there's a lot of different supports out there. So um, people, you, you know, you're not alone and I really encourage you to grab a copy of Naomi's book when it comes out in October so that you uh, can benefit from her story and, you know, her, her resource. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Naomi. Thanks, everyone. Have a growthful week. And um, really take care of your mental health and well being this month. Thanks so much. See you next time. Thanks so much for being here and being part of the Grow Tribe. It would be amazing if you shared this podcast with others at home, at work gave it a rate and review in Apple Podcasts and shared any ideas about what you want to hear more about or who you want to hear from. I love to hear your updates. If you're interested in learning about how to become a chief energy officer, you're looking to fuel your impact and your performance, could be you, could be your team, have a look at the link in the show notes about where to start and as always drop me an email if you're looking for any support or you've got any insights that you want to share on growth it's melissa m e l i s s a at go to grow.com.au thanks everyone